Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. This week on the show, a kind-hearted songwriter and cunning craftsman of smile-inducing folk songs that retain the one thing we might need most in our jackknife new century, hope. I'm very glad to introduce you to a lushly bearded tune tinkerer from Austin, Texas, who came to my living room here in LA to tell his version of living the American dream, Matt the Electrician. While the artist not known as Matt Sever may still be able to fix the sparking wires behind your walls with his nimble bare hands, in the sepia-toned Discman decade we know as the 1990s, he found a line of work even more daring, dangerous, and financially precarious to set his sights on, being a roving folk singer who maybe mines the pure ore of good left in us that we didn't know we still had. He has this song that lifts me up whenever it slides into my speakers, I've Got Your Back, and it's like a warm hand on the shoulder. Maybe despite our differences, we are all on the same track, he says. We're moving together, small steps going forward. You can't see it from space, but it still matters. You know, Matt is not a new artist. He's seen some things, he's had ups and downs, and yet he's been able to cut away the jadedness that seeps into a lot of artists' work, mine included. There's a sweetness, a pureness that remains. So how did Matt get from working construction sites and fixing up old houses to making music full-time on the road? Maybe Matt the Electrician is the homegrown hero we need for our crowdfunded times. I admit I go back and forth on using social media and humble paying customers to fork over more and more dough to keep us music makers from going under and giving up or working at Quiznos or whatever we are qualified to do. I realized in the middle of the night recently after a decade freed from my desk job in advertising, that I may not be qualified to do anything else. What could I do if this whole music mayhem ended tomorrow? But that's where you, the listener, come in. On one hand, it can feel like independent artists are constantly begging and borrowing to keep their records appearing on those magical Fridays every two years or so, hoping enough of the world will say, yes, I want what you're selling, I want what you're creating. And yet, to be real, the cost to tour, rent vans, pay for hotels, record in studios, rehearse in lockouts, manufacture musical goods, make t-shirts, pay for flights to festivals from Denver to Denmark, it keeps going up and up, while our wages, like most of the country, 
stays flat or goes down. If you live in one of the most beautiful big cities like me, it's impossible to pay your rent sometimes. It can feel like we are asking everyone we know to Kickstarter our dreams, Indiegogo my future, GoFund my healthcare. And yet, there is a silver lining. 50 years ago, maybe Matt the electrician stays an electrician in Austin, goes to work each day with his lunch pail, plays his guitar locally at night, lives his own humble version of the American dream. He did, in fact, marry his high school sweetheart. But things have changed, and there is a different path for independent-minded artists like Matt. In some ways, Matt reminds me of one of my songwriting heroes, John Prine, the dark grin hidden behind the sadness in the songs. When he's saying, blow up your TV, throw away your paper, he's not really saying blow up the whole system. He's saying, maybe don't take life so damn seriously. Have a little fun, move out to the country, have some kids, feed them on peaches. It makes you smile, but also makes you question whether or not you're taking yourself too seriously too. And a guy like John Prine, he would be signed to a major label. He would have the full push of the industry behind him. A guy like Matt, he needs people on the ground to help support his music. And you know what? That's okay. Matt's been at this a while. He looks more like your cool tatted shop teacher than the next big arena moneymaker for the major labels. And maybe that's just how it works now. You let the people decide what music is going to survive. So letting the people who have put Matt up in their houses and cooked him a warm meal on the road support the music their own way, it's kind of beautiful if you think about it. In fact, his sturdy fan base just lovingly funded his next record in which he'll be working with a producer for the very first time. And the producer is none other than the wonderful Tucker Martin. He'll be heading up to Tucker Studio in Portland, Oregon this October. And if you look closely, which you should, you'll see that Matt's made over a baker's dozen of records over the three decades he's been playing. Quite a feat, especially for a man who does it his own way, in his own time. You know, the song he plays at the end of this episode really pays homage to those kind folks who take in the hopeful music makers and saves us from another night at a smoke-drenched motel on the outskirts of town. Do you know an independent band or songwriter rolling through your town soon? See if they need a place to stay. It really does help. And you might just get a sweet song out of it too. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to my next guest, Matt the Electrician. Are you hiding your real name <laughs> from the IRS? I'm in a, I'm in a program. It's, uh... it's funny because I think I heard someone say the other day that like someone billed you accidentally recently as like Matt the engineer or something. That's has that ever happened? Possible. <laughs> I I don't know that I've actually been incorrectly billed. I mean, sometimes like marquees will run out of the letter E or <laughs> you know that sort of thing, but. Uh, no, but I get it a lot. I'll get, you know, I'll go to, a, I'll show up at a gig and a bartender will go, yeah, you're, uh, you're Mike the mechanic, you know, that, that kind yeah, of, yeah. I get that kind of thing a lot. It's my own fault. I, I came up with a stupid name and Mike I the mechanic. pay for it now. Yeah. What is the thing about electricity that people don't know? That people, that people don't know? Yeah, like. <clears throat> that non-electricians don't yeah. know? Oh, gosh. 
Like what I mean, is electricity? I don't I don't know. I, I have no I have no academic understanding of electricity. I am not an electrical engineer. Um, I was a I was a journeyman electrician, and really, really, if you want to get down to it, I was a I was a journeyman wireman. Um, a wireman is different. Than well, I, yeah, I mean, I was a journeyman electrician. I had a journeyman electrician's w- license, but. Um, generally, when you just work on residential and you don't do commercial or industrial, which is kind of the heavy-duty, hard stuff, um, you're referred to as a wireman. You did carpentry too, right? I did a little carpentry. My dad is a carpenter and was a was a cabinet maker and a furniture maker and a, and a uh, carpenter and then a, a general contractor for like 40 years. If I were to come over to your house in Austin, <clears throat> yeah, what would you make? What's what the I- signature dish? Ooh, what would I make? Yeah, um, the the signature dish that that I make in my house in my house is is really nothing to write home about. But, Grilled uh, cheese? No, I, I do I, I like to I like to just grill some sausages that are already uh, pre made, and uh, um, and I make some some rice and some Brussels sprouts. I do kind of the you know the roasted mm-hmm. roasted Brussels sprouts um, and just just straight up white rice and and sausage. That's what I make for my kids when. When I'm home. You have two kids, right? I do, yeah. How old are they? Uh, 18 and 15. It's a rambunctious age. <laughs> it's totally not. I mean, it could be. It was for me. But uh, my kids are so mellow. They're not rebellious teenagers? Um, the, their form of rebellion is, is pretty mellow. <laughs> it's really just more kind of, you know, they get, they get mopey. And, yeah. and a little disgruntled, I guess, would be the adjective. And you grew up in Oregon, right? But you were born in Northern California, San Francisco. Yeah, I grew up kind of uh, the first years of my life were spent in Ashland, Oregon. And then we moved to Talent, Oregon. And then we moved to Marin County, California. For My dad got a job down there. And then we moved to Sonoma County. Um, it's a lot of moving around. Various houses in all those places. And then we moved down to Monterey County, lived in Pebble Beach, and then in Pacific Grove, where I went to high school. Did you feel like you were always the... New kid, fish out of water for a while. Yeah, yeah, I was I was the new kid a lot. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of like attention that that brings, you know, where you have to like yeah. prove yourself constantly, <clears throat> or you can reimagine yourself everywhere you go, right? Well, re- yeah, and I did both. Um, I mean, I I I didn't figure out that whole reimagining thing until I was a little bit older, um, and so the attention that 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 brings is is uh, can really can be good or bad, <clears throat> and I think. It took me until the age of 14 to realize that I had a little bit of control over what that was. Um, what happened when you were 14? Well, we moved we moved down to Monterey County, and um, and I was it was the first time where I and it may have just been a, a culmination of circumstances, but uh, it was the first time where I kind of was able to reimagine myself in a positive light. Um, and before that, I had had a rough couple of years in Sonoma County. And was just really, I was bullied pretty hard and, mm. and beat up a lot and, and had a really rough go of it in Petaluma, California. Really don't like that place. Uh, <laughs> you ever play the Mystic? <laughs> well, I, you know, the, the Mystic, uh, I actually, I have played the Mystic. Um, when I was a kid, it was the Plaza Theater. It mm. was like an art house movie theater. It was a dollar to get in and they'd have like three Stooges marathons and stuff. Even the most <clears> pleasant <throat> town can have its bullies. It was not pleasant back then. I'm telling you, it was uh, a little it was, more ra- a little more rough around the edges. It was rough uh, when I was in junior high, Petaluma Junior High. Uh, Winona Ryder was a grade above me, and she actually was pulled out of school. Uh, it's in some of her interviews, mm. but uh, 
she she was beat up so badly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She was hospitalized, and her parents took her out of school. Like it was a rough, rough school. Um, like, what were people thinking that bullies? Like, why were they okay to do that back in the day? I mean, and, and I'm sure there still are <laughs> plenty of bullies, but like, at least there's a discussion that like this is wrong, and we need to look yeah, at it. Yeah, I know? mean, the culture, the culture of that, from my understanding, you know, from from all the way back, you know, when my dad was a kid was just, uh, you know, bullies, that's just what it is. You know, there's just bullies. That's And kids, it toughens you to deal with it. It was, the, I think, the general understanding. So parents and teachers didn't get involved until maybe the 90s, maybe? I don't. I can't speak to the 90s because I wasn't going to Or your to parents would be like, stand up for yourself. Right. You I know? think if you went home and said, I'm getting, you know, some kid punched me, they'd go, well, punch him back, you know. And, and I don't know because I never came home and complained about it. I just kind of kept it to myself. But... Um, but I got beat up a lot in junior high, and so when we moved to a new town for uh, high school, I I was able to kind of show up with an attitude. And it turned out the town that we lived in, Pacific Grove, it was just a beautiful place, and the high school was, I, I, I had a great experience. Everyone was really nice. It was a real small school. There weren't a ton of kids. Um, and so I didn't really need the attitude, but I already had it kind of, I was ready to go in swinging and, um, and it was just, I made a lot of lifelong friends there, and it was great. Have you ever written a song about your bully? Um, I, you know, I've started a lot of songs about, about the bullies, and I've never really, I don't think, off the top of my head, I don't think I've ever really finished them. Um, no, it always feels like a weird thing to, to write about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you moved to Austin. Yeah. At, at what point? Uh, in 96. Okay. I moved to Austin. Yeah. And you got a job doing electric electrician stuff and, yeah. and you know, I like that story of you <laughs> deciding you wanted to do it more because you could get inside because it was too damn hot outside. Yeah. <laughs> Except that then you realized inside in Texas a lot of these places don't have air conditioning because it's yeah. not set up yet. I know, I didn't do all my homework before I took that job. Um, I did like a half a day on a framing crew and uh and I was, it was so hot. I moved there in the middle of May and, uh, and it was like a hundred degrees and I'd come from Oregon. I was doing carpentry yeah. up in Oregon. So I, th- I had my, my tool belt and my hammer and I thought I can go do framing carpentry in, in, uh, Austin. And it was like a hundred degrees and I was out for half the day and at lunch I just, I left and went back to the, to my house <clears throat> and opened up the paper and I was like, I got to find a different job. And Yeah. And you've been writing songs since you were about, what, 14, 15? Yeah, that was about when I started, 14 or 15. Like, at what point do you realize that writing songs as a young man is mostly about trying to impress a girl or some girls? (laughs) I mean, I think I realized it at the age of 14 or 15. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was kind of the whole point with, uh, my, my dad had always played guitar, and so we always had guitars around the house, but I never learned to play um, when I was a little kid. And I played the trumpet. That was mm. that was what I, I started playing when I was five and started taking lessons, I think, when I was eight. And it was maybe my first year in high school, first or second year in high school. And I remember I was walking through the campus and I had my trumpet case with me. Mm. And I walked by this hill where, where kind of the cool hip kids would eat lunch. And there was this kid up there with an ovation. He had an ovation guitar, mm. Bill Henderson. I'm still friends with him. He had long hair and a jean jacket, and on the back of the jean jacket there was like a, a, a piece of fabric 
that had a quote from Watership Down written on it in mm. like Sharpie and, and it was pinned, safety pinned to the back of his jacket. It's punk rock. <clears throat> oh my God. It was so like sensitive punk rock. And he would sit on this hillside and play like Sounds of Silence and Stairway to Heaven and he was surrounded by girls. Yeah. And I remember walking through the quad and I saw him up there and I saw all these girls sitting around listening to him and I looked down at my trumpet case and then I looked back <laughs> at Bill and I looked back at my trumpet case and I, the way I remember it is I literally went home that day after school and I said, Dad, you've got to teach me how to play the guitar. <laughs> like, I'm playing the wrong instrument. That's... So you, you married your high school sweetheart. Uh-huh, yeah. I, just, I sure did. Um, how did you guys meet? Uh, we met, we were in a musical together. Um, we were actually in two musicals together and we, we met... Uh, in the first musical we were in when we were both juniors <clears throat> um, it was called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat um, and she was you know it was a small school so everybody kind of knew everybody else and um, so uh, I don't remember when I was aware of who she was but her mom was a teacher at the school and, and her older sister was the drum major in the marching band when I was a freshman in marching band um, so I knew the family but then the, our senior year we did Snoopy mm-hmm. which was uh, like the Charlie Brown, the Peanuts characters. And uh, I was Charlie Brown and she was Peppermint Patty. <clears throat> and we just started hanging out a lot. Uh, and I'd had a lot of girlfriends in high school up to that point um, because I was so unpopular and so beat up on in junior high that I think when I got to high school and people actually were nice to me and liked me, I really, I kind of went whole hog. And, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just anybody who was, you sure, I'll go out with you. I'll, yeah. You know, I had, a, I had a fun time. But... Uh, by the end of senior year, I, when I met her, we it was really weird. It, all the other girls that I had dated, I you know you kind of uh, maybe this is normal. I don't know what's normal, but uh, you know you go to a party and you kind of you hook up or you make out or something, and then you're just the next day you're dating. You yeah, know, you're, you're holding hands at school. <clears throat> and with Kathy, uh, we were in this musical together, and I thought, God, I really like this person. Like I don't want to mess this up, and so we just hung out for like eight months. We would just hang out and do stuff together. And we didn't really date. Uh, well, you forged that friendship, which is probably the thing you actually need for a lasting it really, relationship. It really yeah. is. Because, I mean, you know, we're, we're 20 years into marriage and 29 years into hanging out. And, uh, and I know it's kind of cliche, but, yeah, you have to be best friends for it to last. Yeah. Like, you have to have some, you know, because it just... What is it? I just heard this the other day, but yeah, marriage, it just gets harder. Like it doesn't get easier. It does? Well, only because, Come on. only when you add things, you're, you're, you're adding things to it all the time. I'm only a year and a half yeah. in. <laughs> well, and, and not everybody adds the same things, but like some people add children. Yeah. Um, you might add owning property, owning multiple properties. You might, you're owning cars. You're, um, you might deal with debt. You might deal with, you're dealing with your, your, your extended family's getting bigger and maybe illness, maybe death, you know? Mm. Yeah. So in that way, I'm not saying it gets harder, like, like it gets lamer. Life gets harder. Life gets harder. And if you're partnering with this other person, the challenges of that life are going to, are going to, uh, branch out and become more. And so who do you want on your side? Who do you want on your team Mm. when you're 20, 25 years in, Mm -hmm. you know? I, I don't think I could deal with having somebody who I didn't really, really like. Mm. It's one thing to like be in love with someone, but you got to like that person. Yeah. A lot of your songs uh, 
for me when I was listening to your records, uh, there's this ongoing theme of sort of smiling in the face of the apocalypse coming, <laughs> you know, like sort of a cheerful <laughs> acceptance of doom. Yeah. You know, even like the song 2020, which is, is on your newest record, yeah. right? <laughs> it's kind of like about <clears throat> getting old, but it's also just like super cheerful, you yeah. know, like in a way it has this hooky, almost like Weezer type chorus, totally. you know, can you uh, sing the, or at least say the words, the first verse and chorus? Oh, uh, wow. I'm I terrible. I'm, I'm really it's bad hard. at that. Um, wow. I'm just grab your guitar. Oh, right yeah, there. that's right. I totally forgot. It's definitely like a good, like, celebrating getting older and it's like okay yeah, song. Totally. Upside down in my head, in my head. Couldn't find my shadow in the light, in the dark. You said don't go You said don't go Take me with you The car was running But I put it in park Weighted down in my body Oh my body Couldn't feel my fingers In the cold, in the cold Every word like a bomb Like a bomb let them go so they had to explode i can't see right in front of me my eyes are half size of what they used to be fear falling full of doubt 2020 countdown to lights out 2020 countdown to lights out oh, that's i love that <laughs> chorus man thanks but it's like the the record version has a very like could almost be like a Blink One Eighty Two song, you know. Yeah. Where I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like bobbing my head to it, but also like, wait, what? What is he saying? <clears throat> well, there's so many, you know, that started because I had to get glasses. Like lit, it was very literally that my I had had perfect eyesight my entire life, and then all of a sudden something they don't tell you, and I'm gonna tell you. So you know, maybe you already have glasses or contacts, I don't know, but... I still have perfect vision. Well, okay, guess what's going to happen is you're going to hit 40, 41, yeah. and you need reading glasses. No! It's, it's just, apparently, yeah. it was a thing that everybody knew. But I always thought the glasses nobody, looked cool on guys, though. Well, and you think that until you then have to wear them all the time. Then but, I'm going to lose them, that's the problem, is yeah. I lose everything. Well, I'm only six months into my real glasses, but I, got, I started having to use readers when I was, I guess it was 41... And, um, and nobody told me, and I freaked out. I kind of freaked. I thought there was something really wrong with me. I thought that like something real bad was happening because I was like, why can't I read? Like you're having a stroke or something. Yeah, I was like, I can't read the back of the CD case. And uh, just like out of the blue, you woke up like that. It feels like that's yeah. how it went. Um, and so to me, that's funny. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Like we're so lucky. We live in. Most of us live in a world and a country and a in a situation where it's like. We don't have to deal with real adversity. Right. And so here's this thing that I'm unduly frustrated by, yeah. <laughs> you know, one day to the next. And it's ridiculous, realistically. Um, that being said, you know, the, the core of that song, the verses, are about some very real depression that was hitting me that just happened to go hand in hand with this thing that mm. really wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But because I was dealing with this kind of deep down stuff, mm. it made... A mountain out of that molehill, um, 
and yeah, I mean, I have a I have a real, and it's not just from the musical where I met my wife, but I have a real affinity for Charles Schultz's uh, mm. way of looking at life. And I saw one of my favorite strips the other day. It's it's the beginning of baseball season, mm-hmm. and I think Linus and maybe Lucy are sitting inside, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Wow, it's what a terrible day out there!" Like, what idiot would be out in the middle of this? And then it pans to yeah. Charlie Brown in the pouring rain, standing on the pitcher's mound, going, "Where is everybody?" Yeah, like. That's how I feel every day of, of my entire life is I identify with Charlie Brown <laughs> on such a core level. Where's everybody? <clears throat> Where's everybody? Like, what's, what's the big idea? But he's always losing, yeah. and he just keeps showing up. He yeah. just keeps showing up. Well, there, you have to have a bit of that delusional hope, I think, to be a touring musician. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. Yeah. And What is the goal? Like, what is the goal? There's no goal. Yeah. Like, do you come to peace that there is no goal at a certain point? I think I did a long time ago. I mean, you go through, I'm not superhuman. I mean, you go through little bits of bitterness and, and defeat. But the only way you keep doing it is, is, you know, some combination of tenacity and stupidity. But also, if you come to peace with the idea that you're doing it for the now. You're doing it mm-hmm. for, like, the show last night was fun. Mm-hmm. Like, will did I sell some things? Maybe. Will I get some some I, good? I, po- <laughs> I bought a baseball hat. I'm just there you come go. Out and say it. There you go. I mean, I could be wearing it right now, but that would just be weird. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you know. Yeah. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Or else, why would you keep doing this? And I think, having gone through other day jobs, you know full well that you can go back to doing. Mm-hmm. I go. I can go wire houses tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I could go work in a kitchen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if I'm going to do this, I have to be enjoying it. While we're holding that beautiful guitar you mm. have there, uh, the song The Bear, which is the first track mm. off the newest album, The Doubles, yeah. um, also has a bit of a, hmm, I feel like a apocalyptic <laughs> vibe. There's specifically <clears throat> this refrain of, uh, I wonder if this means I'm more dead than alive. Yeah. Explain that to me. Um, that was definitely a, a comment on getting older um, and get and getting older <sighs> how do I describe it you, I mean how old are you you're 30 34 34 so you know in your life that there are moments where you you keep resetting what is old right mm-hmm. so when you're when you're 15 old is 18 mm-hmm. or or it's 22 like that 22 year old kid that buys us beer he's yeah. really old you know yeah and then you're 22 and you go, God, that's, that was crazy that I thought this was old because 30 is really old. Yeah. And then you hit 30 and you go, wow, so this doesn't feel that old. Anyway, that, I feel like that keeps going for yeah. a while. And maybe it always goes that way. I can't speak to where I'll be in four years. But yeah. at 46, almost 47, I can, I can stick by the idea that turning 40 felt like a, a different one. Mm. And now six years later, it's still, I look back on it and go, that still felt different. Why? Like you're really an adult now type thing? It's not the really an adult thing because I feel like that happened somewhere in my 30s or maybe around 30. It's more, (laughs) and this is going to sound apocalyptic or or terrible, but it's the the eyesight thing. It's it's the Mm. first time when things start, even if you're perfectly healthy, even if you've done everything right, it's when things start falling apart. Yeah. Things that you know you can't pick up or fix. Well, it's like that. Uh, I know it's maybe not PC to talk about Louis C.K. comedy anymore, but 
he has that right. routine, has routine, you know, where it's like the doctor's like, <clears throat> yeah, that's just the way your leg is now. Right. You know, and you're like, what? And that's very true. And we, and I, you know, I also have used that as an example, but the reason that was funny is especially to people of that age is that you go, oh my God, this is absolutely true. And I think what it signals to, to a lot of people and what it, what it was me grappling with and always will probably <clears throat> is that sense of there's a pinnacle mm. and you don't think that way when you're 22 certainly and even when you're 30 it hasn't really sunk in but when you realize that you might be on the downhill side of things uh-huh. you know what I mean and there's yeah. no going back yeah you're almost <clears throat> at the point where life expectancy is is You've now halfway <laughs> past right. yeah and so and so the the bear was uh, you know a combination of things but it was it was it was definitely about even though knowing that I'm not that old mm-hmm. relative to all sorts of people I know that there comes that point where you wonder like is this mm-hmm. is this heaven not in the spiritual sense even but is this what it is is, is, what, is this what heaven looks like? Right. Is right. this what the best looks like? Because because the best is the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. The best is where you achieve this middle. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you're going downhill to the end. So, like, yeah. what does that feel like? You know? It feels like you playing some of this song. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Because it's like, is there anything sweeter than a good song being played in a room? It's just like, you know? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, do you just want a little bit of it? Yeah. Okay. Bear moved into the city when all of the work dried up. Put it all in his pickup truck. Drove down the mountain. And he scoured the classified ads for a window with a view of the trees. Signed his name, got a set of keys. And the empty light of a room. He said, I wonder if this is what heaven is like. What if it means I'm more dead than alive? What would I be if I turned out the light before night? There is that, what is the, the Buddhist practice of realizing your mortality five times a day is actually what makes us happy or right. something. Yeah. There's this, there's this app called, it's called We Croak, I think, or I Croak, <laughs> which I actually used for like a couple months just to see what would happen because I read about it in like the Atlantic or wow. something that all these people were using it and mm. it would basically remind you five day five times a day you're gonna die yeah. <laughs> and then it would give you like a proverb or like a poem oh, or something and it was like you know Edgar Allan Poe going like right. the reaper waits for no one yeah. you know, like alright I'm gonna go yeah. eat some Chinese food right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I mean I think it's important to to remind yourself uh, you know and that is that that you know that last part of that chorus is you know am I more dead than alive like which how many if I'm keeping score in a rule in the sense of like an exact ruler how far past half am I? Mm. And does that matter? And if and just because I'm getting further, um, do I want to like just kind of stop 
stop doing the things that I enjoy doing or stop living the way that I want to live. Honestly, like <clears throat> playing music in a room for people is almost like one of the most old fashioned but like timeless ways of feeling present, yeah. I feel like. You yeah. know? It's one of those things where you can actually stop what you're doing and like focus on sort of this magic happening in a room. Yeah. You know? Totally. And you've put out what this is twelve uh, studio albums, I think something, I read something like that, eleven or twelve. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot of feeling alive. <laughs> so even if it's you die of, tomorrow, <laughs> but even if you die tomorrow, like there's yeah. some part of your life form that's gonna like shimmer into the universe forever. Oh way. sure. But, well, and and it's I, I, you know I, I don't even know for when I when I think about it the way that I like to think about it, I feel like everything we do affects something or other people in even if it's small ways those are the things that start shockwaves that that change the world and that's and so i you know even as a kid i had no i had no delusions that i was going to be on the cover of rolling stone or that i was going to um uh you know be on mtv which mm-hmm. was the thing at the time uh that that wasn't it's not to say that I didn't have dreams of doing something bigger. Everybody wants the, the yeah. slightly bigger gig or the, or the you know all of that. And I, I enjoy playing to more people rather than less. Yeah. But it even then I had that Charlie Brown sense mm. that like well this isn't really this wasn't built for me. Like what I'm doing doesn't doesn't need that or mean that. It mm-hmm. it just needs ten or twenty people in a room mm-hmm. and sitting around singing and playing songs. When you throw your own music festival, the Matt, the Electrician I, I, I Fest. I did, I have actually, but go, but go on. <laughs> the next time you throw a music festival <laughs> where you can be the curator, uh. first five people you book, dead or alive. Oh, goodness. Money is no object. <clears throat> this is, I'm so terrible at this game because uh, I'm just, I'm constantly... It's constantly changing, but you know, and I and I will just I'll amend because this is the way I picture it in my head, is is it's not so much that I'm booking a music festival for the whole mm-hmm. world to come to, yeah. Um, but I think about this often that you know how you have the game or the the you play with like what if I won the lottery? Yeah. Like, what would I do? And I always think of throwing a party for my friends and family, mm. um, and if I could book the bands for that, um, it. It, it definitely okay. Let me. You said five. Five. Okay. Um, Doctor Theopolis. It's a, a band from Portland, Oregon that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Okay. But they're very funny. Um, Melvin Taylor and the Ma- fabulous Meltones. Okay. From Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, Paul Simon. But he's not allowed to bring a band. It just has to be him and an acoustic guitar. Okay. Like what album? I mean, there goes Ryman Simon. No, like his first solo record. Okay. Um, Paul Simon's songbook was that the first? Nope. One? It's just called Paul Simon. It's got uh, Mother and Child Reunion mm. and Duncan and Me and Julio, mm. um, but it also has some of his my favorite songs of his. Uh, mm. Everything put together mm. uh, sooner or later falls apart and uh, uh, Ho- Papa Hobo. Mm. Um, yeah, but so but so he's 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 got to be there um, definitely. Where am I now? That was three. Four is uh, Nico Case. Mm. Yeah. And five is Devin Sproul. 
<clears throat> you definitely have the most obscure answers of anyone I've ever asked well, this to. And I realize awesome. that on a podcast, that's going to come off as like, he's trying to be obscure. But see, the, no, the thing I mean, is... That's what really means something to Well, you. the thing is, like, I want... These are the people... Yeah. Really, except for Paul Simon... Yeah. And maybe Nico. These are the people that I want... That I have gotten the mm-hmm. good fortune to have seen in these weird circumstances in small rooms mm-hmm. in front of nobody where you go... If I had the money, mm-hmm. I would fly these people here so my friends and my family mm. could see them because yeah. it's so, so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple artists that like mean so much to me for some reason, you know, like <clears throat> an album or two yeah. got into my consciousness. There's this girl named Birdie Bush. Oh, yeah. Birdie's great. Out of Philadelphia. Her. And I'm yeah. just like, and I've told her this in person a few times. Yeah. I was like, I am angry at the universe that sure. they don't know who you are. Yeah, she and I had you the know? same publicist for okay. a while. Yeah, she's great. I mean, just like her, those first four albums she made are just like transcendently oh, yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's this band. They, I think they just came back. Granddaddy. Oh yeah, Jason Lytle. You know, like most people I've met have never even heard of them yeah, or their stuff. Great. And in the, you know, sort of taking this weird sort of folk rock electronica mashup totally. thing, you know? And Jason was a pro skater. Oh, it was? Before Granddaddy. Or yeah. maybe it was during, but um, yeah. he was, I met him at a show and he was like the nicest. Backstage was a little heady with celebrity people and he was like the, mm. hands down, he was just the sweetest person backstage mm. to me. And didn't need to be. What is the uh, most underrated music town that you can think of music where town? You, where you love playing the most oh gosh where people wouldn't think to tour well i mean i have i have a very special relationship with ketchikan alaska mm. um and it's i have played uh, there oh wow in the alaskan lumberjack arena wow and so it's part of the games or something that goes down as maybe my one of my top five shows of all time that's so funny it's probably a much different show than you played. Probably a much different <laughs> with show. with an eight-piece band and horn section. Yeah, they are there. It's a sweet community up there, and I've gotten to become really close friends with uh, a lot of like kind of third and fourth generation Ketchikaners hmm. um, over the years. But but so I, I play there once a year for the last 10, 10 years, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the Alaskan sort of folk it's scene so is really cool. Yeah. yeah, and really, I mean, it's not. To, I, it can come off sometimes sounding like a like a trick, like kind of like I'm gonna go somewhere where people don't get a lot of live music, and yeah. you know it's like you're taking it's like you're exploiting or taking advantage, yeah. but it's not. It's when you go to these places like Ketchikan, or you go to Fairbanks, Alaska, or you go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they appreciate it because they don't they don't get it as much, and so they're they're not dismissive of it in mm. the way that sometimes when you go and you play in New York City or you play yeah. in LA or you play in San Francisco and everybody's looking at their phones and yeah. they're kind of like, should I pay attention to this? You know, yeah. um, when you play those smaller towns, they're more mm-hmm. appreciative that somebody has taken the time to travel out of their way mm-hmm. to come to their little town. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't think you're, I don't think it's a, an exploitative thing at all. Do you remember the longest drive that you ever had to do to get to a show? To get to a show? I mean, I've done... My longest drive was was a three days of driving. So I've done an eight... My longest drive was 18 hours. Whew. But I did not play a show that day. Um, my longest drive to get to shows 
it was stupid routing, but it actually, a tour started in Ketchikan, but I needed my car on the West Coast to do the tour. So I drove from Austin to Portland and flew to Ketchikan, and I did that drive in three days. So I did 12, 12, and 13 or something. And it was the back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back that killed me. Like, yeah. it wasn't, like, a 12-hour day is fine if you don't have to do it the next day, but when you do it, boom, boom, boom. Um, but the longest I drove and then played that night was we drove from Austin to Albuquerque, which <clears throat> I don't know what the GPS would say it is, but it took us 13 and a half hours. Ooh. And then, so we left at like, you know, four in the morning or something. And then we played just a terrible gig at the Cowgirl Hall of Fame in, in Albuquerque. Or maybe that was Santa Fe. I think that's Santa Fe. So it's a little further than Albuquerque. So we went to Santa Fe. It was like 13 and a half hours. And... Uh, played just this awful gig where we got double booked with a like a Jimmy Buffett ticket giveaway for some local radio <laughs> station. <clears throat> Damn it, Jimmy Buffett. It was re it was really rough and then the crowd did not care. We were basically could have been a cover band in the corner. Had to bring our own PA, one of the speakers went out and then into the hour first hour of nobody listening, people yelling over us, everybody super drunk. I decided to do a really, really filthy, dirty Prince song, which I'm not even sure is a podcast. Can I? Please. The title of the song is Jack You Off. And so we did that song. And I'm not familiar with that one. It's a great song. It's on uh, um, uh, Controversy, the record Controversy. How's the chorus go? <laughs> Gosh, how did the... Uh... Oh, man, now I'm getting... It's been so long since I played it, but uh, there isn't a chorus. It's... Uh... <laughs> How's it go? If you can get the first lyric of it, I can I can slide right into it. But I, it's uh, been so long since I started it. If you're looking for somewhere to go, if you're looking for somewhere to go, oh, uh, what is what's I our, thought I'd take you thought to I'd take you to a movie show. Could sit in the back, I'll jack you off. <laughs> You sang this at the Cowgirl Hall of Fame? So we did this at the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, and uh, I actually did that song once on the radio in Austin, on like commercial radio, and, and they were going to let me do it. I kind of told them how it went, and, and then we started it, and they didn't realize I was going to sing it so quietly. And I got to that line, and they just cut me off, <laughs> kicked me off. But, um, but yeah, so we did that at Cowgirl, and the manager came up to me like right when the song was finished and said, you guys are done. Wow. Get out of here. And... Did he pay you? He did pay me, but and I had this big argument with him in the back room because free speech, bro. Like, this is a family establishment. I'm like, it's not a family establishment. Yeah. Like everybody here's wasted and has been here since three in the afternoon for the Jimmy Buffett ticket giveaway. They don't care about what we're doing, so why do you care what I'm saying? Why were they giving away tickets to Jimmy Buffett at a Cowgirl know. Hall of I don't, Fame? I don't. Well, it's the, it's the name of a bar, the oh, Cowgirl okay. Hall of Fame. So it's not actually the Cowgirl Hall. I thought it was actually a Hall no, of Fame. No, it's just a terrible cowgirls. dive bar in Santa Fe, and I could say that because I'm not ever going to play there again. <laughs> You know, unless they have a really good offer coming up. Yeah, I, I doubt that. <laughs> have you ever felt in danger in a live show? No. No. No, mo no. Most of my terrible road, terrible gig stories were always, uh, were always just kind of funny or sad. Some, some combination of, <laughs> yeah. of sad and funny. Um, no, we, I don't think we ever had a, I don't think we ever had a actually felt... The only time anybody did something physical to me while I was on stage, I put it in a song years ago. It's a terrible song that was on maybe my second record, I think, uh, called The Road. 
Because <laughs> I, 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 my friends and I were talking about how, like, God, every band, you know, the second record, you know, just you got to write the road song. And yeah. so I figured I would, like, go meta and just write a song called The Road. Yeah. And the chorus was, The Road is My Demon Lover. Okay. Um, it's terrible. It's a stupid song. But, um, but the first, I think it's the whole first verse was about this show we played in Portland at a... God, what was the name of the club? It's, I think it's still there. No, it's probably gone. Burbati's Pan? I don't know if you're... Okay. It was like the place where, you know, they put all the touring bands. So it was like three bands a night. I don't think locals played there much. Um, but in the middle of like the, our third song, this girl came up to the stage and she was like falling down drunk. Yeah. And I was standing where my mic was. I was close enough to the edge of the stage where like while I was playing a song, she just started untying my shoes. What? It was the craziest thing. And isn't there a line in, in Dylan's Tangled Up in Blue? Is there something about oh, the, uh, the laces down of your shoes? That's the right. The laces of my shoes. That's right. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Maybe she was like reenacting that. It could have been. In a, like a drug, drugged stupor. She came up before the song and was doing this like, hey, I know you, you know, yeah. one of those. And, and I was like, oh, great. And, you know, I just was trying to like yeah. get on with the show and play the songs. And there weren't that many people there. And she kept kind of talking at us. So we just started the song. And then I think that kind of pissed her off okay. that we were ignoring her. So she just started untying my shoes. Oh, untie, untying your shoes. Untying. That's not very nice. No. And so I, she untied both of my shoes while I was singing this song. You're just watching. Because I couldn't move away from the mic. <laughs> yeah, you're to, just watching her do it. So I just watched her do it. And uh, <laughs> and then at some point after, after finishing singing a line, I said something about, hey, stop untying my shoes. And the bouncer like... Kind of, you know, uh, re- in a resigned fashion, like came over and and tossed her out of the place, like dragged her out, which was also kind of a bummer because she was one yeah. of the only people watching our show. <laughs> so. Have you ever played a show where the, there was dangerous weather? Oh yeah, lots of those, tons of those. I mean, living in Texas, I would say probably every fourth show there's a tornado <laughs> warning. What was the closest call? <clears throat> Gosh, uh, oh. Oh my God! Yeah, I totally forgot about that one. There was because um, we had tons, lots of shows where there'd be severe thunderstorms and the lights would go out, and and then everyone's kind of trapped there for a while, and so they light candles and you do the acoustic thing, and those are always the shows that your fans always remember. Like, yeah. oh, I was at that show. Um, but no, this one was we were doing an outdoor, we were doing an outdoor show in um, Bee Caves, Texas, which is about. 30 minutes outside of Austin. Bee Caves? Bee Caves. Okay. The town of the incorporated village of Bee Caves. <clears throat> and uh, now there's a radio station there called Sun Radio. It's a really cool Americana station there. But back then, there uh, I don't think they were there yet, and there was this like mall that they had just built that had like a grassy amphitheater uh, situation. And they were paying pretty good to go out there on like the Friday afternoon play show. So we're out there, and we knew that there was some weather rolling in, and so we're looking way to the north. It was all black, like dark, dark black clouds coming in. And the sound guys were like, look, we've, we're looking at the radar, and it, it, feels like, um, it feels like we can get away with this um, uh, before the... But, you know, we'll just keep Get an eye away on with this. Yeah. yeah, like get the show. Because we were... To get paid, yeah. we, all of us had to just do the show. Yeah. And we figured if we got X amount in, we'd, we'd get paid. So uh, I'm up there with my backup singer, CeeLo, was there, and we had this uh, fiddle player named Sick, who lives down in New Orleans now. <clears throat> it was just the trio, and and uh, there were maybe 10 or 15 people with their kids sitting with blankets on the grass. <clears throat> and so we start playing the first song, 
played the second song. In the middle of the second song, or after the second song, my backup singer comes up to me and she goes, and it, we're watching yeah. in the distance lightning, mm-hmm. but it's dense black. It's pretty far away. And she goes, I, th- I just tasted lightning. And I go, what are you talking about? And she goes, I, I just tasted lightning on the microphone, I think. Oh, shit. And I, and I was like, oh, you're nuts. That's not a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and so we start to go into the third song, and I kick it off, and I get up to sing, and I tasted sulfur. Like, I saw the lightning, yeah. and I tasted sulfur in my mouth. Whoa. And I, I was like, it was a thing. It's a thing. And I said, and I looked at the guys up there. They were looking at me, and I go, "Yeah, we're we're done. Yeah, <laughs> we're done." And they were like, "Okay." And immediately the tarps are over everything, yeah. and we were running to get wrapped up. And uh, on the way home, didn't find out till the next day. But um, driving home because this this line of, of thunderstorms and tornadoes was moving mm-hmm. was moving probably west to east, but also north to south, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so we were driving straight east, and you could see it. You could just see the line, and found out in the, in the morning that three tornadoes had touched down just north of the freeway we were on, and got home with like garbage cans and things like going across the street yeah. in front of my car. And I get home, and my wife and kids are in the bathtub with bike helmets on with the dog. <laughs> like, bike helmets, nice. Yeah, we don't have a basement, so you they say get in your get in the bathtub like it, away from windows and stuff. Mm. So. Um, but that was pretty close. Like tasting the lightning was. Wow. I think that was a Metallica record. But uh, yeah. yeah, taste the lightning, bro. Yeah. yeah. You started uh, when you were a kid. You were in, really into metal, right? Um, yeah, what? yeah. I was into you know like the 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 '80s metal, and then and then from that into kind of skate rock uh, stuff. So I'm gonna do an exercise where we come up with our metal band names. Okay. Right. If we were gonna have our own metal bands right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you the first word. Okay. And then you add a second word, and that's your that's the metal. metal band. And this is from the Irish Sagas and Folk Tales book that is next be. to me. Okay. So your metal band is sometimes... Whoa. Sometimes Janice. Sometimes Janice. I like that. Yeah. She's only she's only Janus sometimes. Oh, but I was J A N U S. Oh, Janus, like the double like faced the god of yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. That would be super metal. All right, you give me one now. Okay. Warriors. Warriors. Wagon. Warriors wagon. I like it. Yeah. The warriors wagon. Yeah. Okay, one more for you. <clears throat> Your new metal band is called Glanamoin. Glanamoin. Ah, Glanamoin Tiger. <laughs> the Glanamoin Tiger. Yeah. All right, give me one more. Okay. Broken. Johnson. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. We're Broken Johnson. <laughs> that kind of that sounds like one of those like skate rock slash ska bands from Boston or yeah. something would be Broken. Do you Johnson. remember the earliest band name that you were in? Oh uh, yes! Oh God! We uh, in when I was in elementary school, we it was me and two of my friends. None of us could play any instruments, and we never did anything more than write. We, you know, uh, we drew like the the band name because that's when we would draw okay. like uh, Van Halen symbols yeah. and stuff. Um, we were Steam. Steam. Yeah. Wait, Steam was a real band. I think it was. We they found out. We on, found out later that it was a real band. Uh, I remember Steam had that hit that was on Jock Jams. 
Oh, funny. We yeah. even had we had a song that was uh, that we started to write because one of our friends had a keyboard, and it was Why, baby, why? Why did you leave me so? Why did you leave? Why did you leave? That was the song. <laughs> yeah, they did the na na yeah, na 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 na. na. Yeah. Steam. Steam. That was the song at the White Sox games. If the reliever would get bombed, right? Everyone right. would shout that at him. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the second band in high school, my garage band, was Slow Children at Play. Oh, yeah. possibly offensive now. But, it was know. quite offensive, probably even at the time, but uh, but yeah, it was a little more uh, accepted. I had a band in high school called Iconoclast. Oh, nice. And no one knew what it meant, so uh-huh. on the one album we made, yeah. we printed <laughs> out the CD cover with the definition <laughs> on the CD cover just in case people didn't know. I think it's, I think it's good to, to educate your, your future followers. Before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question, yeah. which is <clears throat> if you could play your wife, who you've now known for mm. a long time. 30 years, yeah. one song before you die, what would it be of your songs? If I could play like pl- play... One last <clears throat> song of yours oh, that gosh. she loves. Well, I mean, I know what her current favorite song is, if that's what you mean. Which one? It's called I Cannot Read Your Mind. Give me one verse. Okay. <laughs> so bossy today. <laughs> I cannot read your mind, but I'd like to try. I think that I'm better at things that I'm not really good at at all. And I held up the sky until I was wasted and drawn. And I know I was counted upon I could show you the signs But I cannot read your mind That's nice. So your newest record is called The Doubles. The Doubles. Is that a baseball term or a moon <clears throat> term? Because there's moons on it. On the cover, right? Uh, no, it was neither. It was, uh, it was a color. The, it's a double CD, so it's a little play mm. on the, that. But it's uh, the first CD is a collection of singles that I put out the preceding two years on vinyl forty fives, mm. um, and so I collected those on a CD because some of my fan base is older and and still wants their CDs. Yeah. And uh, in the process of making that, it occurred to me that I felt like I wanted to give something else along mm-hmm. with that. Um, and so I made a second CD, which was all different versions of all of the singles. Mm. Uh, because the singles project, each 45, I had a different backup band from Austin. Mm. And it, it was really fun to kind of work with these different musician friends of mine, but then also different visual artists for each of the 45s. And uh, then I was out on the road playing all these songs with my trio, which was uh, my singer, Sila and my other singer, Stephanie Macias. And so it was real stripped down, kind of three-part harmonies on everything. And the songs were all very different from the from the original records. So I thought it would be fun to make... I, I've always, as a music fan, I've always been a big fan of, of uh, 
you know, the demo versions of songs mm. or the, the stripped down versions of songs. And so it's a double CD, but it's of singles mm. done twice. So the doubles. I like it. Yeah. Would you like to take us out with a, a full song? Sure. Sure. Let's, let's do that. Um, what song is this? Um, this is a relatively new song uh, called Thank You um, <clears throat> that I wrote uh, initially for my friend uh, Tim Easton. I don't know if you know him. He's a <clears throat> he was the he was the next big thing in like 1994, <laughs> and hopefully he'll listen to this and hear that because <laughs> my mom said it was the next big thing in 1994. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, no, Tim's great. He's a, he's he's a, I I don't really like this this phrase, but it but it absolutely works in this case. He's like the songwriter's songwriter. Like, you know, he's one of those guys that's been doing it forever. And you run into a lot of people that go, oh yeah, I used to listen to Tim's records. And, and I still do, and he's a good buddy of mine. <clears throat> and I stayed at his house out in Nashville. And uh, I just was feeling... I was just, it was just one of those days, there was a lot in the news about the, um, about the refugee, not just the refugee crisis around the world that's happening at any given time, but real specifically just kind of the denial of refugees in this country and mm. just feeling real lucky to not only have a house but to like have a couch to sleep on in Nashville and um, anyway you're just feeling like that and so I wrote this song for Tim Where would I be if no 
have it the artist known as matt the electrician you can go to mattheelectrician.com for his music and his tour dates and uh, his kickstarter is still live you can contribute and make the magic happen um it will be funding his newest record produced by tucker martin and uh, i've heard some of the songs they are charming af right now where is he he is in the uk he'll be playing in uh, glasgow in birmingham in liverpool Finally returning home to Austin September 21st to play the Wildwood House Show concerts and September 28th he'll be back in Austin too at the Cactus Cafe. If you go to thebluegrasssituation.com you'll see that back in July there was a cool article talking to Matt about his song Osaka in the Rain and uh, he had this trip to Japan that really stuck with him and this song is so fun. Uh, There's a video of it of him playing down the street from me at McCabe's Guitar Shop Check that out at bluegrasssituation.com. Speaking of playing music very far away from home, my gang Dust Bowl Revival will be embarking on a most irresponsible and beautiful and long European tour starting in October in Germany and going to Denmark and Sweden and Belgium and the Netherlands and playing in Spain for the first time and the UK in November too. It's going to be really exciting. If you know folks across the pond, tell them we're coming. It'll be really fun. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Subscribe now.